Welcome to Epiphany with Tiffany, a podcast that explores the deeper meaning behind the clothes you wear and items you own and how to work with the energy of the cosmos to make powerful shifts in your life, home, and wardrobe. I'm your host, Tiffany. I'm a holistic life and style coach and personal stylist with a deep love for fashion and a firm believer of the life-changing power of energetics. Tune in each week for an illuminating discussion designed to shift your frequency and connect your environment to your soul. This is a Soul Fire production. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the show. So deeply honored to have today's guest on the podcast joining me. I brought on my hormone specialist highly, highly regarded comprehensive medical physician for women, Dr. Ricky Polycove. Dr. Ricky is a natural born healer from childhood. She had always desired to become a doctor and care for the whole person. Her 40 plus year practice of evidence-based integrative gynecology in San Francisco, California, has allowed her to incorporate her thoughtful scientific background and graduate level breast cancer research at the UC Berkeley Cancer Research Genetics Lab with her UCSF medical education, OBGYN residency, and a lifelong study of consciousness. What I really love about her work is that she really approaches her own private practice that she has based out of San Francisco, rooted in curiosity and blending ancestral background, genetics, and spirituality, and pairing that with all of her education and science knowledge. I am someone who really believes in holistic health, holistic approaches to healing, I don't think that we can find full healing in a vacuum. We really have to be looking at all of the different elements at play, your emotional and mental well-being, your physical health, and any type of long-term ailment you might be struggling with health-wise. There's typically a emotional root, a spiritual root, or some other type of trauma that you're holding in your body that is not being addressed. I worked with Dr. Polycove for the past 18 months. She has been helping me find hormonal balance in my body. I struggled with hypothalamic amenorrhea for seven years, which has been really, really challenging for me to say the least. I hit a point in my late 30s where I was not producing any sex hormones in my body for a while, and the health ramifications I was experiencing as a result of that beyond just not having a cycle was really, really hard. It took a toll on me mentally, emotionally, and physically, and I had been working with functional medicine doctors. I had made a ton of progress with lifestyle modifications, diet modifications, and done quite a bit of emotional and trauma healing work. However, I still wasn't 
cycling monthly or at all. (laughs) So when I teamed up with Dr. Polykov, I was a little bit skeptical that she could help me. I thought I had tried all of the things and I was honestly a little bit hesitant to bring in um, more Western medicine because my experience with doctors in the past in the Western medicine field is that they don't spend a lot of time getting to know you as the person. It's more about just treating based on the lab results. So when I started working with Dr. Polykov, I was immediately, immediately impressed with and relieved with her her approach. She spent over an hour with me on our first appointment and I felt so seen from the moment I met her. She really leads with her intuition and she really doesn't just look at your lab results first. She even mentions this in the episode, but she really likes to approach every patient she works with from their heart, looking into their heart, understanding what she loves about them as a whole person before diving into the medical stuff. What a refreshing approach. I don't, I've never experienced anything like that with any medical doctor. And that has just been my experience with her the whole time. I am taking hormone replacement therapy. And I have to say that a year and a half in, my body has never felt more in balance. And I'm just so grateful for her care. What really moved the needle for me, and I'm happy to report that now I do cycle monthly, is I really had to make some big shifts in my life. That was like one of the last remaining pieces of the puzzle. And when I moved to LA is when my period arrived. But today's episode is just featuring Dr. Polykov. She has such a varied, wide variety, deep wealth of knowledge background, and she shares so much of her knowledge in this episode. She also really gives us some insights into what she sees with patients, cultural and generational trauma, and its impact on our hormonal health, the impact of stress on the body. We all know that's a big one. And That was definitely a big one for me and my own story with hypothalamic amenorrhea. Towards the end of the episode, Dr. P also gives a lot of great tips into her daily practice and rituals and what she does in her day, morning and night that really set the tone for her entire day and the energy that she brings into her day and how she keeps her body and her mind as high vibration as possible. I think you'll really get a lot out of this episode. If you have any questions for me or want to hear more about my own personal story with my hormonal health, definitely reach out and let me know. I can be found Tiffany at epiphanywithtiffany.com. And I will also be linking Dr. Ricky's website in the show notes. Dr. Ricky, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You've brought so much healing to so many women in your practice over the years. And I am so grateful to be one of those people who have benefited from your incredible gifts. And now on to my chat with Dr. Ricky Polico. Dr. Ricky, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, you're so welcome. It's a pleasure. 
So happy to have you on the show. I love to start my podcast, getting to know my guests a little bit. Do you happen to know what your sun, moon, and rising signs are in astrology? Oh, I should. I know I have a ton of Venus and I, I, I have the chart that, quote, every astrologer would want to have. Ooh. I, I have all this energy that concentrates in the very lowest area of oh, the wow. chart and my my venus and my saturn and um neptune are intense and um rick tarnas did an incredible reading for me in uh 1992 wow. which i have on tape but he this is the olden days where he drew with colors and you know, I hadn't studied astrology yet. So all I could say was, wow, one of the world experts whose work I admire because he unifies the intellectual rigor of a deeply informed philosopher and a very deeply researched astrologer. Anyway, I was told I had the gift of speech and just a tremendous aesthetic grace and very powerful heart and healing. I love that. Well, based on what I know about astrology, because I study it a lot, I would guess that you would probably have some stuff going on in your sixth house, the uh, house of service, because you do love to help others or a lot of Virgo energy perhaps. Mm -hmm. And then one of the first things that stuck out to me about you was your personal style. And you just always had these beautiful, and you're wearing one today, these silk scarves. And I've never really experienced that in a doctor setting where the doctor had this like incredible style. And we bonded over our shoes before. Right. And it's just, I, so I love when you said you have a lot of Venus energy in your chart, because yeah. that yeah. definitely makes sense with your personal style. It's interesting because I think after that reading, and of course I was such a novice to that. I, I think I may have told you in the office one time that why I studied astrology is because early in my career, women who needed surgery, this is the olden days where, you know, we actually put incisions on the abdomen, not just little teeny scope chopstick holes for laparoscopy. But anyway, they would tell me the date that their astrologer said, as well as sometimes the location of the incision. So I thought, well, women who have a strong belief will do well. And so honor that I, as a surgeon, I could I could figure out how to give her the incision that she wished and still do the surgery. So these women did so well, sometimes um, so surprisingly with a very severe health issue, like shock, ectopic pregnancy, but they're there in the ER saying, no, please, you know, I want my incision two inches from, off to the left. I don't want it in the middle. Anyway, so I thought I need to know something more about astrology you know, suspend disbelief to enter into that realm and then take a deep dive if you can. Yes. And I actually found your approach to medicine, which I'd love to get in on your background a little bit, but your approach as far as 
all encompassing there. We've talked about in our time together in um, your office, spirituality practices, we've talked about the emotional components. Um, we've talked about, you know, the, when there's medical, physical manifestations, there's um, typically more than just the medical thing happening in the body. There's an emotional component, adding stress to the body or lower frequencies in the body. Um, there's people who are able to look beyond the 3d body and into spirituality. They're able to elevate their body and, and have a higher frequency and heal their body with the help of modern medicine. And so you being able to really recognize the importance of that and, and weave it into your practice, I think just really uh, makes you stand out and what really drew me to you. Oh, thank you. You know, as you ask that, um, of course, I, I've not really seen that modeled <laughs> in my training. Um, but, you know, these contributions, they're, they're like um, the elements of baking a cake. You know, some things are the matrix, others are the leavening. You know, the butter, the oil um, prevents it from being too dry. You know, all these aspects. But I think growing up in a family that modeled intensely scientific rigor, that was my my dad and my mother, actually, even though she was a professional musician, pianist, but the two of them together gave us this foundation of curiosity about the spiritual world, other ways of knowing. My father also went to India when I was seven as part of a World Health Organization tour where he was educating about these new technologies. And he spent an entire month there and came back from that trip with so many beautiful like sari fabrics and I have these wonderful scarves from actually Ceylon which is what Sri Lanka was called then but then he, we had a steady stream of people in the 1950s visiting our family and my mother would make curry from scratch you know and you know research the international cuisines so she was very creative and um, just a charming hostess um, Anyway, so I I saw these these Indian hands and just the lilt of the language, and a lot of these people were Sikhs. You know, it's very exotic when you're a little kid, and they wore turbans and and their their carriage was just awesome, and the ladies in their saris were so beautiful. Anyway, so those are the little things I realized when I was in college and I my second art class was history of Asian art. And I just felt such a sense of my past life being with these, these traditions artistically. And then I got very curious. I studied Aurobindo. And then that led me actually to, um, interestingly, Rudolf Steiner had written a book about Aurobindo, which he channeled. There was no way he ever met Aurobindo. And then I, you know, started taking classes at the California Institute in Girls Studies to basically satisfy more of my curiosity about these philosophies and, and spiritual um, teachers. And so here I am, you know, in my 42nd year of practice. And within me, I feel blessed to experience that unity. With your patients, like that come to mm -hmm. work with you. Yeah. 
So these are my secrets. You know, it's like, I will always feel like I'm one of the girls. And I told my mom that she kind of worried that medical school would, you know, prune off all my tender shoots. <laughs> I said, you know what, mom, I'm never going to let my education get in the way of my good common sense and who I am. And that beautiful background you had with your, your upbringing and, and the arts and then the spirituality that you found, and then also the science. And that really stuck out to me too. When I saw you, when I came to see you, I was struggling with some hormonal imbalances. I had seen several doctor, different doctors. I had actually worked with a functional medicine doctor and they had misdiagnosed me. So when I came to you, um, for help with, with my hormones, I was very skeptical. I was like, no one can help me. I've, I've seen all these doctors and, and I was just feeling so, um, discouraged that anyone could actually understand and see me. And I remember the first visit that we had, I left that visit. I called my mom immediately in the car on the way home. And I was like, this doctor sees me. She sees not just the test results, what's going on. Um, medically, but she sees me, the person I, you, you know, had noted in the first appointment, um, you just kind of validated my experience. You're, you're a tender hearted person. You've been through this, that, and that you were really asking me about some of my emotional past grief I was carrying and really spending time. I mean, that first appointment was a good hour. And I was in shock because my experience to date with, uh, medical doctors, it was, you know, five to 10 minutes. And it's really not necessarily even a fault at their own. It, but um, sometimes I think the medical industry has just become so much of a business and um, the patients are treated the best that they can, but it's really like, we have to treat the next patient. We can't spend the time with the relationship. And every time I go to see you on that first visit in particular, I felt like the human, the woman that was coming and showing up and you were really understanding the full um, scope of things, not just looking at it through the the scientific lens. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that beautiful memory. Um, these experiences, we know just scientifically, even the region of the brain that starts to integrate all of our stresses and you know, probably the more recent learning opportunities come with sort of the carried trauma of our culture. You know, since George Floyd and COVID, I think for a lot of people, the last almost three years have allowed an opening to the grief that one must feel on some level. And the disregard that, quote, the white man and and his families have basically um, carried forth with a sense of entitlement. So how this generational trauma, how we deal with it, how we heal it, how we get unstuck from avoiding it, it's a curiosity. I don't have the answer. I don't know if you've ever listened to Thomas Hubel. I listened to a lecture of his several years ago, and he talked about uh, sort of the cultural generational trauma of basically the Western world. And it was the first time I actually thought about imperialism 
the background of violence. It's like the drum roll. I think I, I have a lot of musical images because I played in orchestras so much. And so the snare drum roll I envision is really the violent undertow that we've inherited. Doesn't come from this life alone. Now, I can't prove that it came from, you know, an evil being that inherited whatever and zapped you when you were born. But mean-spirited judgment that we hold for ourselves, that's the energy that I think causes bad health. You know, obviously it makes us bummed, depressed, but I think we have ample scientific knowledge to show inflammatory markers that actually increase the the bad metabolic outcomes increase with negative internal dialogue. I a hundred percent agree with that. I noticed that in my own life, the biggest shifts I've had in my health and, and breaking through years and years and years of chronic illnesses and, and imbalances in my body. I wasn't looking, even though I was working with psychologists for years, I was not shifting the inner dialogue enough with myself Mm -hmm. and I was aware of it, but I wasn't shifting the dialogue. And it really took brain rewiring, shifting that dialogue, um, to break free of those thoughts, the way I now nurture myself instead of, I mean, it's not perfect, but instead of just always being so hard on myself, that's when my body started healing from really long-term physical, um, ailments that I had had for years and medicine can get you to a certain point of health, um, which I'm so grateful for, but that inner dialogue is such an underlooked underrated piece. I think that really can help bring the, the full, um, picture into view. Well, it really is a personal prison of poison, quite honestly, about 25 years ago, I remember reading an interview with the Dalai Lama. And um, it started with, you know, you're always smiling. How how can you be smiling when your people are out of Tibet? And he said, oh, you know, in 300 years, I know we'll be back in Tibet. (laughs) And I thought, well, he's patient. (laughs) And in the same interview, um, he said, it took me about 10 years of being in the West, visiting the West, before I felt I understood what's What's the difference here between being born a baby in Tibet, being born a baby in the United States, in the West? He said, in Tibet, you know you're divine from the get-go. Whatever, you're divine. You're a divine being. In the West, the concept of original sin, of being judged, of having to prove yourself worthy, whatever your religion is, that negative kind of primary identity exists in so many unconscious ways. And, you know, again, back to my childhood, I think the inquiry into other religions that my parents did consciously, like they read the I Ching, they listened to Alan Watts on KPFA radio. You know, we we sat around with my mom putting rag curls in our hair at night while they listened to Alan Watts. You know, that's not your typical 50s childhood. So, you know, 
we're all blessed to consider to take the good from our exposure and heal what wasn't so good. You know, one one aphorism I remember from my mom when I was very hypercritical when I was about 13, 14, and my mom said, sweetheart, don't be so hard on yourself. The world will do that for you. If you were perfect, you didn't need to be born. You would just stay an angel helping from the other side. We are here to learn. Mm. Pretty permissive. That is beautiful. And to hear that at that such a formative age, you're mm-hmm. taking that with you and, and that you're now leading with curiosity and compassion towards yourself. And then you're able to give that to the patients that you see. I've gotten to listen and learn from so many women who are not like me. You know, I knew when I was quite young, I wanted to be a doctor. Well, in those days, you're going to apply to medical school. You know, the statistics, one in 300 got in. That made me not really participating in the sort of prankster part of the 60s and 70s, for sure. You know, they say, if you can remember the 60s, you were not of it. <laughs> so <laughs> That makes sense. But I do think that it's really to the credit of so many of the women who shared their stories with me that I've kind of seen hmm, a more playful approach to life. Don't take it so seriously, honey. So I love my teenagers because I ask them, I say, I wonder when I was your age, if a doctor had actually paid attention to me, if they made me feel like I was worth listening to, how it would have changed my life? Now, obviously, I've had a good life, but on the self esteem, on that negative internal, oh, just shucks little me the diminutive, put yourself down. Why do some of us do that? And then the other side of that is false inflation, which is even more scary. (laughs) So, you know, so I think for those of us who are tender souls, it's inborn, just as we have inborn enzyme deficiencies sometimes that we discover. I like to have those scientific parallels because it's a good image and we can now sort of measure that pretty much everybody who's had, let's say, the successful psilocybin journey, if they're on a healing path, life-threatening, you know, terminal illness, terrified of the cancer, and enters into intentional healing practices with these, you know, big research studies showing that the psychedelic psychotherapy enhanced journey again it's intentional it's guided it's it's not like the drugs on campus at cal when i was an undergrad that's a whole different recreational you know diversion that i also chose not to do because you know what if i didn't come back to earth right i want to be a doctor so anyway but in my very intimate exposure to that whole world of research and training were very close to FDA approval for these protocols. And so it will be forthcoming uh, one, one hallucinogen at a time, one entheogen at a time, but taking that fundamental attitude, we're here to learn not to be perfect. If we were perfect, we would remain angels helping from the other side. So there's not a hierarchy in that. 
And just, and thinking of that concept alone, it's like, that takes such a pressure and a weight. I can like feel my shoulders drop when you say that, because it's like, Mm -hmm. our purpose is not to do life perfectly and to go a certain way. It's, it's really to, to learn from each step of the way and, Mm -hmm. and, and lead with curiosity and look at all the different, um, things available to us in the physical realm. But if we're able to pair that with tapping into our subconscious, into our spirituality practices, that's how we can actually, um, really shift how we work with, whether it's generational trauma, whether it's, um, conditioned, um, preconceived notions of of how we have to do life. That's how we can shift out of those boxes, those dynamics, and really just live life here to explore and here to have Mm -hmm. fun and play and learn and, and really everyone dances uniquely in the world. And there's really Mm -hmm. no wrong way, quote unquote, to do life. If you're keeping those things um, front and center. Absolutely. No, that's very well put. I think one of the dangers we face currently is what I've come to call spiritual snacking. Like, Ooh, what is that? Oh, we try a little bit of this practice and a little bit of that practice. And I'm going to do this retreat and I'm going to watch this video and I'm going to listen to this podcast, but never really sticking with any one thing. And this is where, obviously, I have a, a very academic, rigorous um, investment. I think you, you make progress by kind of putting your feet to the fire, showing up really sticking with something and there are so many distractions and so many false prophets to use an old phrase and i mean i think the the hyperlinks on the internet and the podcast to sift and sort and discern who's who's kind of gone off the rails i think that's very important My afternoon slump has been elevated thanks to the Serenity Gummies by Cured Nutrition. Cured Nutrition is a premium provider of cannabinoid, functional mushroom, and adaptogen products designed to help you feel your best and just elevate the human experience. Their product line features organic and really clean ingredients, which matters so much to me. What we put in our bodies really does make a difference in how our body performs for us. And I love that all of their products are organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, and made right here in the USA. The Serenity Gummies are the newest product I've tried. I feel like the gummies have just the right level of sweetness. They're not too sweet. They definitely taste like they contain cannabinoid ingredients in them, but either side of it's not too too overpowering. So they're not too earthy and they're definitely not too sweet, which is the perfect blend for me. Uh, the ingredients are super clean and the gummies contain L-theanine, reishi extract, cannabinoid CBD, full spectrum hemp extract, ashwagandha, and a microdose level of THC. The amount of THC in the gummies was a concern for me. I didn't want to feel like I was getting too dosed out, too high, and that is definitely not what happens when I take these gummies. I pop two in my mouth in the afternoon, and I notice within about 45 minutes 
just a really nice, steady, calming effect on my nervous system, feel more relaxed, kind of the afternoon anxieties of, oh, I didn't get enough stuff done today, or I still have this lingering over my head, just kind of melt away a little bit. I feel more in my body. I feel like I can start winding down my day, but you're not feeling overly tired or out of it or high where you just like can't function, can't get on with your day at the same time. So it really is just that nice, slow, steady, mellow dose of calm. If you want to try their products, you can get 10% off your first order with coupon code epiphany at checkout. So head over to curednutrition.com and enter epiphany for 10% off your first order. That's E-P-I-P-H-A-N-Y for 10% off all regular priced items over at Cured. I think the gummies and the elixirs should be the first two items that go in your cart. And I hope you will go to their website, curednutrition.com and explore their line of elevated products. So the internet and the web can bring us close to people everywhere. It's so amazing. And at the same time, it's a little bit like exposing children before they're ready. And I think that those of us who are in positions of leadership need to persist in offering some pointers for validation of um, healing authenticity or maybe not so much. So the things that bring us together in a loving, kind, nonviolent way, we we should pursue the things that create division, otherization, judgment, and restriction of freedom, not so good. And to help, depending on the age of the person, and of course, I see pretty much only female persons in my office, but I have the privilege of introducing, I think, better wisdom. And then, of course, we haven't talked about the influence of TikTok and other social media platforms that have really increased distress in children of all ages. I I can't even just to interrupt because that means I think about that all the time. I have 10-year-old nieces and I there wasn't social media when I was growing up and I had such a hard time already. There was the it was the age of magazines, like 17 magazine and the supermodel and the pressure that I put on myself from that alone. But now it, when you go on TikTok, I mean it's the everyday person that becomes these um elevated people that we as a young impressionable child, you might um, think that you need to be exactly the same as them. There's just this like enormous pressure. Um, I get nervous about um, children growing up with that, what the long-term impact's going to be. And and you, you and I can't go back to grade school and high school. Um, and yet we can re-educate ourselves with a broader view. And my deep belief is that when we get the broader view, we become nicer, kinder, more generous, more loving people. Yes. Cause you can really see the different walks of life everyone's coming from 
and appreciate the differences rather than only just be looking at things through one singular lens and then getting frustrated when the other person is coming completely from a different lens. So it really helps um, bring compassion to the multiple ways that people walk through life. Um, so I really respect having a broader view. Here's, here's a conversation I had yesterday during a routine exam with a woman who's about 50 or she said, I have this son who just, what, what comes out of his mouth is so amazing. We were on this hike and he's asking me and my husband, his dad, um, do you think people would rather spend time with people who speak their language, but have a very different religious philosophy? or people of the same religion who don't speak their language. And this is a young man who's just spent uh, like a semester abroad in Israel. That's a really <laughs> poignant question. I love that. Exactly. Out of a 20-year-old, right? And she said, I just love the fact that this is how his mind works. Yes. That gives me hope. Exactly. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> and these are the things, I mean, this is where I love my job. I feel like I have the best job in the world because at the same time, you know, I have the serious stuff like detecting breast cancer early and guiding patients through all kinds of scary journeys, mostly with that disease, as much as I, I hate it, um, we do very well, but it's a journey. And I say, it's the most loving club you enter, in fact, because the support you get once you're a member of the Breast Cancer Survivor Club is so consciously loving. These women do not criticize each other. They embrace and support each other. So having been immersed in that, again, my background was breast cancer research, so it's been a very natural area of subspecialty. I sit on the board of trustees of the National Consortium of Breast Centers. So it's not like a trivial thing to say this because I've, I've had the deep dive, so to speak, with, with the rigors of the science, with the surgery, with the chemo, oncology, you know, imaging full nine yards and admiring these courageous women who often don't start out so courageous. But you see what guides them through the challenges is their belief system, their embrace, the more someone holds a spiritual belief, not necessarily, not necessarily belonging to a church or a religion, but feeling a sense of a higher power, a connection to a universe of love and healing that's, those people do much better. They do better if they have a heart attack, they do better with their, you know, cancer surgical outcomes. They do better with radiation therapy. I mean, we have all this literature that show the power of belief. Yes. And if they have that spiritual connection, that they will find the level of healing that their bodies are, are all, all of our bodies are desiring. But I think when, when you don't have that connection with the higher, there's something out there that I'm not alone. When we feel really alone, our bodies might um, not respond as well. And, and so when we have that belief, of spirituality, higher God presence, whatever it is source, um, that can just help us with a compassionate team, a loving team, really mm -hmm. get out of those, um, um, illnesses and, and find healing, um, that our bodies might not be able to find on their own. And balance 
which is really kind of the summation of many aspects of day-to-day living. For children, rhythmicity, the same thing, the same schedule as babies. You know, this is very important. The way you put a child to bed, many of my patients who develop sleep disorders, I say, put yourself to bed as if you were your own baby. You know, sing yourself a little song. Make it the same little ritual every night, you know. And this is where practice, which is, you know, if you look at Buddhism, it's a practice. So you're always practicing. But a simple thing that I really encourage is we need to stop being constantly distracted and chaotic. The entropy of all these awesome opportunities on the internet and whatever, I'm invited to this and that. We need to center and have a practice. So yoga, meaning body, mind, spirit. So the word yoga is really, we could say lifestyle. Of course, in the United States, what do we do with yoga? We make it the postures, the asanas, the positions. Then we invented ashtanga yoga to be the most awesome, physically challenging, upside down and backwards yoga. So Again, that's that's our notion of sort of competition and okay. Yeah, we take out the ritual, the the sadhana, the, the daily practice before the yoga practice begins of the poses where you're praying, you're chanting, you're getting into the body in a free flow way before it becomes formalized and has to be all these things. And so one of the corny, I call it corny because for a lot of women, they, they've never had this suggestion before, but I'll model it in the office. I may have done it with you to breathe through your nose, you know, close your eyes and just notice that when you inhale, the air is cool. And when you exhale, the air is warm. Oh, I love that. And we'll just, we'll just do that for 10 breaths. And after about three or four breaths, I can see these women, are, especially the younger ones are like, you're wasting so much time. Like, we have time. 10 breaths. I got to get back to my scrolling. You know, most of us, in fact, do about 10 breaths per minute. So, you know, we've got 30 minutes together. We can spend one minute breathing. But it calms the nervous system. We measure that. Again, back to the science. So I introduce the simplest form of internal physiologic calming down centering this practice of what i would call a very simple attention to the inhale the exhale which again it's a cycle that is so innate and then just a transient awareness of the body that is inhaling and exhaling so that's a deeply centering practice and it, it gets that monkey mind and all the scatter and chatter and the list of what I have to do, or she made a comment and was so mean. And, you know, somebody, I mean, what people carry along as, as negative baggage that fills up their awareness, you know, I just feel like we're just not big enough to hold all that negative dialogue. Got to get rid of it. No. And I love that guidance that you bring to your practice with your patients, because the breath is such an anchor. And if our nervous system isn't regulated and working, um, 
at a homeostasis level, then our bodies aren't really capable of healing because they're trying to keep us at homeostasis and they're overworking to do so. And, and the way that we're living with, with not tuning into ourselves and going inward. And I love what you said about slowing down, having rituals around your bedtime and just that like self-soothingness, if we can all bring a little dose of that into our days at, at different points in the day, imagine how much calmer we might all be feeling and operating in the world. So I have to introduce this concept, Ooh. ancient bodies, modern lives. So there's a beautiful, that's a beautiful cover. Isn't that great? So one of the classes, and this is, this just shows you a continuity of contemplation. I took a class in the evolutionary anatomy of the vertebrates. So that class, pretty, pretty arcane, you know, but at Berkeley, the classes were so big. So as I got into my junior year, I thought, okay, I'm going to look at the catalog and see which classes have the fewest people. (laughs) So I chose um, that class. I also took parasitology of the invertebrates which, you know, you spend a lot of time in tide pools, but anyway, (laughs) so, but the evolutionary perspective for humans, that really helps ground my work. And I've realized for menopause, it's so important for us to realize there is no evolutionary biologic pressure, a la Darwin, selecting for the most adaptable that's really what he articulated it wasn't the the fittest it's really the most adaptable species so these eons of time over which we evolve from swimming in salt water the ocean to being amphibious and then maybe reptilian and but now because of genetics we know pretty accurately actually how we did evolve and we we think of this tree but which limb did we sprout off of etc so meanwhile men have continuous fertility their entire life they have continuous hormone production their entire life women we know that's not so So what we are biologically evolved to do, which is awesome, we have a lot of complexity in these, quote, moving parts that no one can see. They're on the inside of me. So those parts basically run out of gas. They've run out of their evolutionary biologic destiny, which was to reproduce. So this is where I'm pairing the science with the spirituality. I feel strongly that the reason I embrace absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt for the vast majority of women, hormone support throughout your lifespan is because it is in being a healthy human that I can continue to evolve my consciousness, my ability to do good and make the world a better, safer, healthier place. And I look at us kind of like a tree with roots in the ground and a circulatory system that brings water. We want the sunshine. We need the uh, elements of nutrients in the earth. So all of that basic 
inherited kind of set in stone genetic biology and physiology. That's our underpinning that cannot change in my lifetime. So the belief for women that we're better than men, that's not the point. Yes, it's pretty awesome that we can do everything we do and have this incredible capacity to have a being gain life developing inside of us, then lactate. And then the price we pay, in a sense, evolutionarily, is this brutal biologic, finite truth that optimal biology ceases. That biologic balance that is ended with menopause creates more disease burden for women. So I see the wholeness of ourselves as not less than or better than. I just see us as having different, amazing capacities. I just want to say it's it's the menu of life offers us such incredible diversity and opportunities, but there is a certain basic biology footprint that we've inherited. It's kind of, I call it the brutal biologic truth. And with the more, we call it maybe Eastern, but the contemplative invitation to really think about your divine self, not in a trivial way, but in a very deeply respectful, inquiring way. And, you know, that part of every day should be some ritual that brings you back simple, calm, undistracted, no chatter. And for most people, it, it helps their mood. It helps whatever compulsions they're trying to overcome. It helps them drink less alcohol. You know, so much of what we're facing with the opiate epidemic is escaping from pain, not, not necessarily physical pain. It's isolation, emotional pain. Emotional. So, yeah. And, and, and that leads me to kind of the, the final question I'd like to ask you today, which is what are some personal rituals that you use in your own life? Maybe you could share one or two that you use to, mm-hmm. to bring this practice. Cause I know you bring it to patients and you help guide ideas, but what are some things you really favor in your own day to day? Well, when I first wake up, I wake up grateful for the day. Um, my first thoughts naturally are basically taking three breaths, which are, you can call them gratitude breaths, but you know, when you're sleeping, you're not getting your full breaths, most of us. And so taking, it's almost like, wow, you know, this gift, the air is free. And I live in San Francisco. We have the nicest air in the world. How blessed. So, so that's kind of a little ritual. I, I never thought of it as a ritual until I read it. I thought, oh yeah, I do that. It so, definitely is because most yes, of us wake up cranky yes. and thinking about our coffee. Yes. We're not taking that moment yes. of, of gratitude. Yeah. So that's a little ritual. I have a little dog, a little Shih Tzu. I seem to be a Shih Tzu mother ever since my daughter was about five. I'm now on Shih Tzu number four. <laughs> so cute. They, they are very loving. And so, you know, it, it's that cute little interaction with a dog that mine sleeps like a a little bear in hibernation. I have to wake her up. <laughs> so, and then I have that little coffee ritual. And then I always take a walk, whether it's raining or nice. And 
I really struggle with not listening to podcasts, even though that's about one of the only times I'm going to have all day to listen to some great podcast. But I like to listen to the birds. And it seems I always have a hummingbird that comes to say hello. And I love knowing the bird sounds and being able to find and identify the birds. It's almost like saying hello and calling them by name. And if I don't know that bird, I look it up. So those are, to me, I love being just another grateful creature in the natural world. That's, I would call that a ritual. I really love that. While I walk, I do a lot of standing yoga poses. And for both balance, and next time I see you, I'll show you my little, <laughs> my routine. I can't and, wait. And I also do some very intentional breathing, sort of three counts, inhale, and really trying to pay attention to the very end of that inhale and the very beginning of the exhale. It's, it's really a meditation practice. And then the minute, of course, you're walking, so you're also in your body. So as I transition from the exhale, I think about my body for a second and then I'm in the next inhale. So that is a very tranquil walk, really. Yes. And and that's like a fully grounded morning practice you have from the mm-hmm. moment you wake up to that walk and, and getting the sunlight on your, your eyes and your body first thing, mm-hmm. which is so good for mm-hmm. our circadian rhythm. Mm-hmm. So I think those are all beautiful tips and practices we can all incorporate. And at the end of the day, and I highly recommend this, and I'll lie down on this and I'll put my feet up over the chair, you know, so that I'm on my back and my knees are at a right angle bent, put my hands open flat on the floor. And again, all you're doing here is breathing. And this breathing, you're going to put a little back pressure when you exhale. So that it's kind of like little, they call it ujjayi breathing in uh, Sanskrit. Yes. That, again, back to the science, we can measure how that changes neurotransmitters and inflammatory markers. That soothing, calming breath, that, that a little bit of force pressure out Mm -hmm. to clear out all the stuck energy from the day and, and, and everything. And I tell women, you don't have to believe in it. Just suspend your reluctance and try it. Yeah. It's five minutes. And when I first started this five minutes seemed like forever. Right. And now I'm amazed at how quickly that goes. It is part of, quote, putting yourself to bed like you're a baby. Yes. And I like the the open hand as like receiving um, mm-hmm. anything from the day that you want to carry in because it felt loving, it felt compassionate. So it's like that open hand of like surrender to letting your body just calm down take in the good from the day and process it mm-hmm. and get ready for sleep. Like that sounds right. so much more soothing than what some of us do, which is get some wine in us, a half a bottle of wine mm-hmm. and then pass out. And then we wonder why we wake up two hours later. So the difference, <laughs> the difference in those two approaches is got to make such an impact on the human body and, and how it rests and, and restores itself. Mm-hmm. 
I just really admire the way that you approach your daily life, the way you approach your work as a doctor, physician, and um, the way you help so many women impact their lives, including myself. I'm just so grateful for you. And I always learn so much from you each time we chat and a visit or now having you on my show. What an honor. Thank you for, for sharing all of your knowledge with my listeners today. Well, thank you, Tiffany, for bringing your charm, your delight, and your sensitivities to so many people who are going to be blessed to hear you and be invited to a better life because of what you model, too. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. It's been a pleasure. True pleasure.